If you've got a Bible there, turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and page 922 of your church Bibles. 922 of your church Bibles. And as you're doing that, turn around and say to each other, firstly, good morning, but also Jesus is risen. Turn around and say to each other, Let us read together. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and save for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. We put no trust in ourselves in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he's reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to seal, well, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me His own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have received. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have on us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you with tears in my eyes walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds and earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray together. In fact, Thank, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Every time we gather to worship, Lord, it is about you. But today, particularly, 
as we mark the resurrection of you, our risen, loving, and exalted Lord, we need your help. I need your help to preach your word clearly, to open up the Scripture so that we would see you in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. So may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, but, O oh, gracious Holy Spirit, to open our hearts that the meditation of all our hearts would be renewed, would be refreshed, would be encouraged, would be transformed, would fall more in love with you, our Savior, our strength, and our Redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. It'll never change. What's the point in trying? People have tried before. It's never worked. Give up, old man. You're not going to succeed. You've wasted your life in what you've done. Why bother doing it? He had heard all these things before. He had heard them through the whole course of his life, abuses, insults, discouragements, apathy, cynicism. It had all been thrown at him. But as he sat in the House of Commons on that famous day, and by that stage he was an old man, he wasn't much to look at, his head was bowed, the lines across his face were pretty deep, his hair that was once beautifully brown was now pure white. But there was tears streaming down his face because he had made it, despite the discouragement, despite the hardship, despite people around him saying it'll never change. What's, what's the use in it? There's nothing to it. He had done it. Who is that man? You'll need to wait to the end of the sermon. But he was affected by the words that I just read you today from Philippians, words written by a guy who was the most unlikely of converts to the Christian faith. Jesus had been to the cross. We've just been through Holy Week where we remembered his death on that cross, that cross of shame, that cross of Roman torture, that cross of brutality, that cross where he seemed forsaken by everyone, including God himself. And we've been through Easter Saturday, that strange stillness where Jesus is in the tomb. But then three days later, as we just seen dramatized there, lovely by our young people, the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled back, and Jesus wasn't there, for He had risen again. Risen from the dead, literally and physically, not as a metaphor, not as wishful thinking, but as an actual person who came back. And he was displayed to over 500 people, the Apostle Paul tells us. It wasn't a trance. He appeared. He appeared in multiple settings. He appeared with a cup of tea. That's a slight <laughs> exaggeration. But he appeared. He ate with them. He visited with them. He dined with them. He spoke to them. He walked with them on the road to Emmaus. He had come back from the dead. Buddha is still in his tomb. Muhammad is still in his tomb. King David, and I've stood at his tomb, is still in his tomb. But I tell you this morning, there's a tomb in Jerusalem that is empty, for Christ is risen. And nobody else in all the history of the world has ever, ever done that, who's been risen from the grave and come back alive forevermore. That's why we could sing greatest day in history. And as Jesus did this, he then ascended into heaven, and He poured out the power of His Holy Spirit, who brings Christ to us in the heart, who is with us this morning to bring Christ our hearts. And friends, if you want to more about Jesus, just pray now, Lord, open my heart to receive from You, and He will do it. 
as Christ went out. This man, this man was going about who was stoning and putting Christians to death because he hated them. He hated them with a passion. In fact, if he was alive today, he would be on MI5's watch list for all the good at them and all. <laughs> he would be on watch list. He would be getting reported. He hated Christians. He was on a holy jihad is the only word we can describe for it. And one day as he approached Damascus, as he was riding his horse, high and mighty, Jesus shows up and kicks him off his horse. And Saul falls to the ground. No hallucination could have done that. No drug-induced trance, as some of the scholars try to say, could have done that. The risen Christ met with him and completely transformed his heart. John Wesley, or Charles Wesley, captures it beautifully, doesn't he? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's light. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. My chains fell off. My heart was free. You can respond back. I rose, went forth, followed thee. And Saul, the madman, Saul, the murderer, Saul, the man filled with hate, his heart is transformed so that when you, brother and sister, get married, you could read those beautiful words of 1 Corinthians 13, can't you? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love hopes, endures, believes all things. There isn't Christ transformed his heart. And that's why Jesus is our hope too. Look at the verse, couple of verses here from verses 1 to, 18, or 1 to 8. Paul here describes his life before he knew Christ. And I bet you Paul wasn't a very nice man to know really, was he? He was driven to prove his own worth. He was self-righteous. He was somebody we wouldn't have liked to be around. Look at his rejoicing here. He rejoices. I mean, who rejoices about being circumcised? Paul does. Who rejoices about the fact that he was a Hebrew of Hebrew? I mean, I don't know how we would translate that nowadays. Perhaps he was circumcised. He was confirmed. He was dedicated. Perhaps he was part of the great Christian nation from the tribe of Benjamin. Perhaps he was a Perhaps he was a Baptist, <laughs> and a Hebrew of Hebrews. But in this whole list here, everything that his confidence is placed in is placed in himself, is it not? That's the definition of self-righteousness, trusting in yourself, hoping in yourself. And that sort of life doesn't bring any peace, does it? I mean, we see depictions of people on the TV all the time, and they're usually these folk who are self-righteous who know better than everyone who are, we're the super people, aren't they? And they've got more front than Skagness Pier. But there's no heart. There's no peace. Paul there describes people like these as dogs. One of the commentators I was reading describes the dogs in the ancient world as quarreling amongst themselves and attacking passers-by. Sadly, that could describe quite a lot of churches across the world, can't it? quarreling amongst themselves and attacking passers-by. That's what self-righteousness does. When your hope is placed in yourself, it leads to a terrible despair or a misplaced arrogance. And that was Saul. How do you get to the point in your life where you think it's right to stone an innocent man called Stephen to death and watch and rejoice? That's not love. That's not God. That's religion. That's self-righteousness. But into this babble, into this chaos and confusion, Jesus shines a very bright light. Look at the language there Paul uses in verse 9. Everything that I thought was gained to me, all my credentials, all my good works, all the stuff I did, I have reckoned or I considered. He actually uses an accounting term there. I have weighed it up in the balance. 
and its loss. All the circumcision, its loss. All the Hebrew tribe stuff, its loss. All the Sunday school attendance, do keep attendance Sunday school by the way, but all the things that I put trust in myself to please God was rubbish. And into this rubbish shines the bright and glorious light of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Jesus is our hope, and He is our salvation. Look here, He considers all things as lost, compares them as dung, so that He may gain Christ and be found in Him. Verse 9. Look at verse 9 there. Be found in Him. Notice the personality of this here. This is an individual thing between Paul and Jesus. And salvation is an individual thing between you and God, friends, this morning. You can't rely on your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith. As great as that is, as shaping as that is, I thank God for my wonderful granny who brought me to church and bribed me with sweets. But I can't rely on her faith. I can't rely on my parents' faith. I can't even rely on my church's faith. I need to do something with the living God. And it can't be self-righteousness. I have to come face to face with Him, the unspeakable majesty. Have you come face to face with Him, the living God? There is ample evidence of Him in creation that it's not go down that road of disputing it. He is here with us this morning, searching hearts. Where is your trust? Is it in yourself? Or is it in this beautiful lovely offer of salvation that God holds out, having a righteousness not of my own from the law. I don't have to earn God's fear. I don't have to try and build myself up or flunk my credentials, but through faith in Christ. The righteousness being made right with God from faith. When we trust in Jesus Christ, when we trust that on that cross that He seemed God-forsaken, He bore our sin, our death, the penalty of our sin, He took hell for us judgment for us. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. My sin, oh, the bliss of its glory, this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. Christ, our salvation by faith. Faith is simply taking. God holds out His hand to you. Imagine today you go for a walk along the Witham, that beautiful wee rubbish-filled canal that flows behind us there. You fall into the Witham. Dear help you. There's no hope for it. No. You fall into the Witham. Somebody's walking by and you're splashing around in there. What are you going to say? Excuse me, old chap. Do you mind pulling me out? Sorry about that for the English people doing that accent there. No, you'll cry out for help. You'll hold out your hand, and that other person, if they're a decent person, will reach down and offer you their hand. What do you do? You grab it. That's faith. God has reached down from heaven through this person of His Son to save and redeem us, to bring us back to Him, to bring us home. Not justifying ourselves. Not trying to earn His salvation, but saying, Lord, take me, a sinner, a mess, somebody who is lonely, somebody who has rejected you, but actually I want to come to you. Can I come? Yes, you can come. He takes you and pulls you out. That's faith. Jesus, our hope. Jesus, our salvation. Oh, friend, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you think God is some harsh, tyrannical judge, if you think God is boring, if you think God isn't interested in you, you are so wrong. Look at Jesus Christ. 
He's the exact image of the living God. Look who came to that tomb. Some ladies who were overlooked by the Romans. The Romans didn't even count them a threat as they came to the tomb. Mind you, the soldiers had fled by that point. Don't you love these big, brave Roman soldiers, the sight of an angel to take off? Some training that is. These ladies come. And Jesus, who is the risen Son of God, takes the time to stop at the grave to a lady, Mary Magdalene, who is breaking her heart. And she doesn't fully understand that he would rise from the dead. And she's there weeping, and she's looking for his body, and Jesus comes to her, and he addresses her by name. And I love that when he calls Mary, the whole thing falls apart. Mary, she says, Rabbi, meaning teacher. Jesus calls each one of you by name this morning. His offer of salvation is to everyone. But you must respond to it. You must respond to it. And he calls you by name, and he yearns after you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, son, come home. Daughter, come home. Many of you might have heard of a guy called Malcolm Duncan. Has anyone heard of him? Oh, good. That's going to be a good illustration. <laughs> He's a preacher from Northern Ireland. And it seems to be something about preachers from Northern Ireland. He's got really thick, curly hair. No, mine's gone now. But... And he was a young man growing up in the Troubles. His dad had died. His dad was involved in the sectarian stuff. Um, and one day he was in Belfast City Centre. And there was a preacher who was street preaching as Belfast was wont to do, and he was holding forth. But Malcolm was listening to this, and he heard this voice in the back of his head that said, Son, come home. And he rejected it. So that night is auntie. Thank God for aunties who bring you to church, even though you don't want to come. Don't give up on them, sisters. His auntie brought him to church that night, and the pastor preached on the prodigal son. Son, come home. Malcolm still rejected it. So as he was walking across the lobby of the church at the time, the pastor, who I used to know, and he was renowned for doing things like this, he, he was a sort of guy, he was a firecracker, but he was great. This pastor shouts across the lobby and says, Son, come home. And he did. Jesus offers salvation. He is our hope. He is our salvation. Thirdly, the cross is our driver. When we come to Him, when we receive the forgiveness of sins, the transformation of the Holy Spirit, then the cross drives us on. Look at verse 10 and 14 here. My goal is to know Him. Why did you come to church this morning? Was it for the bacon rolls, which were very tasty? Was it for the coffee? Was it for the friendship and fellowship? All these are good things. I don't decry them. But the main thing we come to do is to know Him. And the word here for knowing is a knowledge that actually is intimate and personal, a knowledge that actually affects the person who knows the person. That's very Irish, isn't it? Let me try and rephrase that. To know Jesus is to know Him, to know who He is, why He came for us, but that knowledge then transforms us. The knowledge has effect upon it. To know Him to know Him in His sufferings and His resurrection, to be conformed to His death, so that somehow I will reach the resurrection from the dead. Paul, what are you talking about here? You were talking about a sure salvation. What Paul means here is he wants to know the power that rose Jesus from the dead operating through Him. He wants to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life isn't easy to live, is it? And let's be honest, sometimes we feel like we're not living it very well, do we? That's just me. And this isn't about earning our own works, our own salvation, but sometimes we feel we should pray more, don't we? We should read the Bible more. We shouldn't fall asleep during the sermon. Sometimes we feel like we're not living the Christian life as we should. We feel what Paul talks about, treasure in clay jars. 
I love Ikea. Not just because my wife's Swedish, but I love Ikea. And I love Ikea because you can go into Ikea, and it's amazing how Ikea takes money off you and how it adds up. I mean, you buy these ridiculous wee things that you've no interest in buying, but you think, oh, it's only a pound, I'll buy that, and then you're bankrupt. But one of the things I love about Ikea is you get these wee clay pots that you can put your plants in, you know, like they're, they're a pound. And if you drop them or if you look at them funny, they fall apart. Do you know the pots I'm talking about? Now imagine, we'll use Don and Susan there. Don's going to buy Susan this beautiful diamond ring. There you go, Susan. Happy Easter. <laughs> he's going to buy this beautiful diamond ring, but Susan, he's not going to give it to you in a Tiffany box. He's going to give it to you in a clay pot. How would you feel? A bit off. <laughs> That's very polite. <laughs> when we come to Christ, He puts in us the riches of His glory through the Holy Spirit. We're born again to a new and living, transforming hope. But we're still the same people in some ways. We're still the clay jars. We still struggle with sin. We still struggle with these things. And what Paul means is here, as he goes on in his Christian life, he wants more and more of the power of the Spirit to come out of him, even through the cracks, to see the glory of Jesus shining. Even when he is weak, he knows he will be strong because Christ is in him. The cross is our driver. It drives us forward. It keeps us going in the Christian life. It gets us up in the morning because we know Jesus has loved us. Look at verse 12 there. I have not reached this goal, nor am I perfect. Isn't there freedom in that first, brothers and sisters? I am not perfect. But I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Why do we run? Why do we go? Why do we keep running forward? Because Jesus is the one who drives us on but also calls us home. Isn't that beautiful? I'm running not... I mean, how many of you have seen those Philadelphia ads? They're really getting my goat. Where they depict heaven as this angel sitting around eating toast in Philadelphia. I mean, if that's heaven, no thank you. I mean, certainly, Philadelphia's not even that good. No, heaven's not that. Why is heaven so glorious? Why is heaven so beautiful? Because Jesus is there. I am running to a person, and he beckons me home. He beckons me, come. He says, come, son. Fix your eyes on me. That's why the author of the Hebrew says it to you. Lift up your drip. How many of you feel like you got through a dripping knees? Thanks, Connor. Feel like you're weak. Feel like you're run down. We all feel like that, don't we? And yet Jesus says, come on, keep going. The letter to the Hebrews was written to a church in intense persecution. What was the best thing the Holy Spirit could give to that church? Maintain a stiff upper lip and keep going. No, run to Jesus. And look at the great crowd of witnesses around you. Run to Jesus. As we run to Him, He becomes heaven. And frankly, His absence is what makes hell all the worse because He is not there. Run to Jesus as He drives us forward. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider I've taken hold of one thing. Notice here how Paul changes the language slightly. It was all about him and salvation. He had to come to Christ himself. He had to earn it, work out his salvation, sorry, receive the salvation through Jesus himself. But now he starts to think about his brothers and sisters around him. I don't know if you know this, but Bible colleges are a place where relationships seem to happen. Have you heard that rumor? Mal and I were couple number 16 in the year that got together at Belfast Bridal College. And our lecturers would always try and give us dating advice. Bear with me on this one. Bear with me. And the dating advice was this. You run to Jesus. And as you're running to Jesus, look around and see who's running with you. Isn't that beautiful? 
LBC, let me give you some dating advice. As a church, as believers in Christ, our goal is to run towards Him and to bring as many people with us as we possibly can, amen, to run towards Him. And as we're running, let's look to see who's running with us. How do we run with each other? We encourage each other. We pray for each other. We love each other. We build each other up in the faith. We run together towards Jesus as He calls us on. This church will always be about Jesus. We forget what lies behind. The past is the past. And in the Scripture, there's a right remembering of the past. We'll come to the Lord's table in a minute, and we will remember Him for His beautiful promises. And we thank God for what He's done in the past. We thank God for the—I love studying church history. I thank God for the revivals. I thank God for Spurgeon and all the guys. But we can't live in the past. We have to run forward with our eyes in Jesus. As I start a new pastorate here, I thank God for the guys who have gone before me. But now we're running forward together. I even have to forget Scotland. Don't tell the SMP. We run forward together, forgetting what lies behind and striving for Jesus. The imagery here, now this could do a great injury to myself, but the imagery here is basically this. Paul is saying, have you ever seen, who was doing the park run yesterday? Park run, I don't know if you start your park run like this, but in an Olympic thing, you start your run sort of, oh dear, this is my, you start your run pretty intense forward, don't you? I'm not getting back up from this position, guys. Sorry. You're straining forward. You're ready to go, and you're looking at the prize. Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I thank God for it. Out of its sin, it's dealt with in the cross. It's in His tomb, never to rise again. And I strain forward to what lies ahead, Jesus. We run forward together. The Jesus, our driver, the cross, our salvation, the cross, our hope, and lastly, the cross, our shape. What does a church look like that lives like this? Verse 15 onwards, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to what truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Then talks about the enemies of the cross, those who live contrary to the cross, and then verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Greek word for ship, or the, sorry, the Greek word for citizenship, the Latin actually comes from kolo, which means to cultivate and inhabit. When Jesus rose from that tomb, He poured out salvation, and He also began the work of new creation, the work that we'll see one day when we stand in heaven that all tears are wiped away, that sorrow is no more, that illness is no more, that pain and death are no more. He has begun that work now. And churches are to be displays of His gospels. We proclaim this good news in word, but also indeed, as we love the unlovable, as we show Jesus to the world around us, to Monks Road, to Lincoln, to Lincolnshire, and beyond. There is borders beyond Lincolnshire. We show that love. We make this place a colony of heaven where Jesus is Lord, and we live out running towards Him in love to Him and love to each other. 1 John 4 talks about this. If you claim to love God and hate your brother and sister, the truth is not within you. That's a harsh word, but it's true. What's that song, I fain stand beneath the cross of Jesus? How can I despise those whom you have called? And wouldn't it be great if once in the headlines churches were recognized not 
for self-righteousness, not for falling out with each other, but for outdoing each other in love to Jesus and each other and love to the community around them so that his light would shine in the darkness. The cross is our shaper. It is our driver in Jesus. He is our salvation and our hope. That man I was telling you about at the start of the sermon, as he sat on that bench weeping, was William Wilberforce. Many of you know the name of William Wilberforce. The date was the 23rd of February, 1807, as the Slave Trade Act was passed in Parliament with 283 votes to 16 against. He spent his life fighting to see that evil destroyed. But one man helped him on that journey. One man helped apply the gospel to his life and encourage him to keep going when times were tough. The last letter that was ever written by John Wesley was to William Wilberforce, and it reads thus. Dear sir, unless the divine power has raised you up to be as an Athanasius against the world, meaning one man against them all, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that execrable felony, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you'll be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be he not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of the Lord and the power of his might to leave in American slavery that foulest evil shall vanish before the earth that he who has guided you from your youth may continue to strengthen you in all this and in all things is the prayer of your dear sir, John Wesley. Christ is risen. The tomb is empty. His divine forgiveness is for all those who receive it by faith. He is our salvation and our joy. Christ beckons us to run towards him, to come home to him. Why? Because he has made us his own. He is our driver forward. He keeps us going through the difficult times, the tough times. The divine power pushes us on. The cross is the shape of our church as we reconcile ourselves to God and reconcile ourselves to each other. OLBC, this morning you stand in the presence of the risen Christ. Do all the good you can. By all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. For Christ is risen. Let us pray. Fought the fight, the battle won. Love's redeeming work is done. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, this morning I pray that what was not helpful for me would fall to the wayside, but what came from you would sink in our hearts. For us here as a church family, Lord, we pray that you would help us to run on towards you, running together towards you. Thank you for the power of the risen Christ who is in our midst to do more than we could think, hope, or imagine. We pray for the city of Lincoln, the city that we love, that you have called us to. O oh Lord, shake it again by the good news of your gospel. Move through this place by the power of your Spirit so that all men and women may know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that salvation is in his name. 
that chains can be shattered, that prison doors can be open, and that the dead will rise. Give us as a church hope to do this. Bless the other gospel preaching churches and the churches in this area, Lord. May they too have the same passion and vigor to run to Jesus. We pray for each other as a family. We pray for those who are with us this morning as visitors and family friends. Lord, bless them. May they have a great time with their family. May they have good lunches this afternoon. As they go back to the fellowships they represent, may your spirit go with them to encourage and bless. And Lord, if there's any in our midst this morning who are wondering what on earth that speaker is talking about, dead men coming back to live forevermore, the Savior who is King of the universe, O Holy Spirit, come and open their hearts to receive the good news of the gospel. Christ has died for their sins. That he is raised from the grave. God has accepted that. That his offer of salvation is available to all. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.